Now our scripture reading will come from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, and we'll be considering verses 28 through 32. Gospel according to Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. That's the reading of God's word. Let's ask him to bless it to us now. Father in heaven, open our eyes, unstop our ears, open our hearts to receive the word and may it go forth, not in word only, but also in power to the glory of of the one who spoke these words, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name, amen. We've all seen before and after photos. And people who are selling products like to use before and after photos to market their product and to get you to buy it. I think particularly of workout programs. uh, They want to sell you a program on DVDs that you can do at home and and it'll turn you into a, a ripped specimen of human fitness and the before and after photos the before photo will show a man whose body basically looks like a lumpy sofa but do this workout program and in 90 days you're going to be ready for the cover of men's fitness magazine before and after and before and after photos can be used in a negative way too as a warning I remember seeing one on a billboard that I would pass from time to time on Interstate 40 going through the mountains of western North Carolina and it was about uh, the use of meth and there'd be a photograph of a young woman um, attractive healthy and then the after photo was after she'd been on methamphetamines for a period of time and she looked like she'd aged 60 years and her teeth were rotting out and It's devastating. And that's intended to portray the effects of meth and to persuade you not to use it. Before and after. You can do it in a positive sense and in a negative sense. And I think we have a couple of before and after photos in the parable that Jesus told in this text. The before and after photos of two sons of a man who told his sons to go and work in his vineyard. 
Now there is a connection, of course we uh, didn't get as much of the context uh, of this parable as we perhaps could have, but immediately before Jesus gave this parable, the chief priests and the elders of the people had come to Jesus and challenged him, and they demanded to know on whose authority are you doing all these things, meaning they had seen Jesus working miracles, they had heard him teaching, they would even heard him rebuking people, and uh, they were uncomfortable with the ministry of Jesus. And frankly, we, we know quite well, they wanted to get rid of Jesus. So they went and they challenged him to his face and said, by whose authority are you doing these things? Jesus re- replied by saying, I'll ask you a question too. If you answer my question, then I'll tell you by whose authority I'm doing these things. And he says, the baptism of John, was that from from heaven or was it from man? And he knew they were trapped because they didn't believe John and they didn't believe his message was from God, but they didn't dare say that. And so they answered, we don't know. And so he said, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he presents this parable that we read in our text today. Jesus had caught the chief priests and the elders in their hypocrisy, and they knew it. And he presents this parable to teach you and me that the kingdom of God is for sinners who repent and follow Christ. And for no one else. The kingdom of God is for sinners who repent and follow Jesus Christ. Uh, The two things we're going to look at, just a two-point sermon today. The first is we're going to look at these two sons and we're going to see their before and after pictures. And then we'll consider the doctrine of repentance, particularly the fact that Jesus commends repentance and he commands repentance. So first of all, let's look at these two sons. Jesus introduces the parable by uh, asking, what do you think? And he shares with them a, a story that would be very familiar to almost anyone. You don't even have to have been a mom or a dad to know that sometimes a mom will go out into the front yard and tell Johnny or whoever, uh, I want you to come inside and vacuum the living room. Or, or you need to go clean your room. Or I need you to do the dishes. And little Johnny says, but mom, I'm playing with my friends. And he doesn't want to do it. And maybe he even initially refuses. See it all the time. Or Johnny or whoever responds immediately in the affirmative. Yes, ma'am, right away. And then doesn't get the job done. So this is a parable that people would be able to identify with and understand very easily. And so you have this first son. And the first son is an example of repentance. That's really what he's exhibiting for us. His before and after pictures show repentance. And just as an aside, I realize that uh, depending on which version of the Bible you've got in your lap right now, uh, it could be that the order of the two sons is reversed, and that's simply because some of the ancient manuscripts have them in a different order, and there's no real consensus about which. I'm going to use the order that's uh, found in our ESV Bibles. But uh, the first son is an example of repentance because the father gives his instructions. Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the before photo 
of this son is the son refusing, the son rebelling against his father and saying, I will not. It's an expression of his will. I don't want to. And he defies his father. But thankfully, the after photo looks different. And in the after photo, he changed his mind, our ESV text says. The Greek word there really means he had remorse. He regretted defying his father. He regretted saying to his father, no. And then he went and he did what his father commanded. The word there can even be translated repent. It's not the primary New Testament word for repent, but it can be used that way. And that's exactly what it portrays, is repentance. See, in the end, he went. He said, I will not, but then he did it in the end. And even the chief priests and the elders admit this. They could easily identify which of the two sons had done the father's will. You see, that son changed his mind. He changed his thinking. And the change in his mind and in his thinking led to a change in actions, led to a change in his behavior. And that's the essence of repentance. Well, then you've got the second son. And whereas the first son is an example of repentance, the second son is an example of hypocrisy. The instructions that the father gave to the second son are identical. It says he went and told him the same. And the before photo of this other son looks pretty good. He responds respectfully to his father. He says, I go, sir. The Greek word there is kurie. You might recognize the sound. That's the word for Lord. And it's a word that functions in different um, uh, levels. It can mean something just a polite address like sir, or it can mean uh, Jesus Christ is courier, he's Lord. But that's how he addresses his father, and he makes this quick statement of compliance, and he says, I go, courier. But then what does his after photo look like? In his after photo, he did not go, it says. He declared compliance. He declared willingness and intent to obey, but he didn't. In the end, he did not do the will of his father. We might say, to use scriptural language, he honored his father with his lips, but his heart was far from him. And so having presented this parable and presented two sets of before and after pictures, Jesus asks the question in 31, verse 31 of our text, which of the two did the will of his father? And the answer is self-evident. They couldn't deny it. And the answer in the case of the chief priests and the elders was also an immediate self-indictment. They understood that they were that second son. And this is just, before we move on to the second point, this is just another example of the whole Bible's emphasis on two ways and two ways only. Jesus speaks of two paths. One is narrow and difficult and the gate is is narrow, but that's the path that leads to life. And he speaks of a second path that's broad and it's easy, but it leads to destruction. 
Jesus speaks of two trees, one that's diseased and bears bad fruit, one that's healthy and bears good fruit. He speaks of two houses, one that's built on the rock, and when the storm comes, it won't fall, and one that's built on the sand. And when the rains come and the floods raise up, it will collapse and great will be the fall of it. So you see Jesus and, and his teaching is representative of all of the scripture's teaching of two ways. And you would think that in a world as populated as ours, in a world that's as diverse as ours, there would be many, many ways, many, many options, many, many possible spiritual paths on our journey, but really there are only two. And only one of those two leads to God. It's the path of repentance and discipleship of the Lord Jesus. So there's the two sons, before and after. But let's consider now what Jesus says as he follows up and explains the message of his parable. Because he commands repentance and he commands Repentance. First of all, repentance commended. He uses examples of tax collectors and prostitutes. And granted, there may have been uh, some degree of shock value intended in the use of those examples. Tax collectors and prostitutes are two of the most despised classes of people in ancient Israel, of course. But even, even today, it's not much different today. I mean, Jesus uses those examples to portray people who would be considered as among the worst of sinners. And we understand that. It's not peculiar to foreign cultures or ancient cultures. You know, the, the, uh, the red light district and the, and the connotations that takes. You know, even in, I've lived in countries where prostitution was legal, but it's still not you know, that, that place, that house, isn't a place where respectable people go or admit that they go. Now, the tax collectors, the issue with the tax collectors is they were living among the people of Israel, but they served Rome. They were known to be thieves and extortioners, and it was their duty underneath the Roman government to collect a certain amount of taxes, but all the tax collectors collected a little extra that they could skim off the top. Because all Rome cared about was that they get the taxes that they were requesting. Tax collectors were free to take as much else as they wanted, and many of them did. And that's why they were hated. They were hated because of their extortion, and they were hated because they were loyal to this oppressive, occupying government that the Jews hated. Well, then, of course, again, prostitutes, that, that aspect doesn't need any explanation. They get their living every day from grievous sin. And Jesus says that these hated and outcast people were going into the kingdom. He says they're entering. They are entering and they will enter before you. And he's saying that to the elders. He's saying that to chief priests. Imagine it. And he, you know, Jesus doesn't leave any doubt. 
He says, truly I say to you. He uses that expression. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. They're leading the way, in other words. They're showing you the right path because they're repenting. He uses that amen formula to emphasize it. And how did they enter the kingdom? They entered by way of repentance. That's what we see. That's what comes out for us in verse 32. It says, they believed John. Because there were, in fact, tax collectors who heard the preaching of John the Baptist. They believed. They repented. And there were also prostitutes who did the same. They heard. They repented. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, that's an account of the ministry of John the Baptist, and people begin to ask John, their consciences are stricken by his preaching, and they realize they need to make a change. They realize they need to repent, and they want to know exactly what they need to do in order to repent. And so they ask him, what then shall we do? Verse 10. John begins to give them some general instructions. And then in verse 12, it says, Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And you notice he didn't say, You dirtbags, quit collecting taxes for Rome. He said, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Don't use your position any longer to extort money from people. Don't deal unfairly or falsely. Others come and ask for John's counsel on how repentance can be played out in their lives. But you see, these tax collectors came, and they had true faith. How do we know? Because true faith always results in a changed life. Repentance is an integral part of the gospel. I've already gone back to uh, Matthew, but again, in, in Luke chapter 3, Verse 18, as a summary statement, it says, So, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. So, you see, the gospel and repentance go together. Repentance is an integral part of the gospel. And their repentance was obvious. So, back in our text in Matthew, when Jesus is now rebuking the, the, the religious leaders... He said, the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed John, and even when you saw it, see the the, the religious leaders were not unaware that these heinous sinners, these outcasts of society were turning. They were repenting. They repented under the ministry of John. Many of them had repented under the ministry of Jesus himself, and the religious leaders saw it. They knew it. They could see lives being changed before their very eyes. And I have no doubt that Jesus rejoiced in their repentance, that it delighted his heart as not only as a holy man, but as the divine, the God-man. It says in Luke 15 that there is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. More joy in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 righteous who need no repentance. 
So that's repentance commended. But then we have repentance commanded. And it's commanded uh, in an implicit way. It's commanded through a rebuke that Jesus issues. Again, remember, he's talking to the chief priests and to the elders of Israel. And he's saying, these prostitutes and tax collectors are going into the kingdom of heaven before you. They're entering, in other words, and you aren't. And why not? Because they didn't believe John, and they still didn't. Jesus says, John came in the way of righteousness. So he's vindicating John here. He came in the way of righteousness, which in a way is an answer to the question they challenged him about, or he gives the answer to the question he asked them. I can tell you where John's authority was from. John's authority was from heaven. But they didn't believe it. They didn't repent. And to sum it up, in the words of the parable itself, they didn't do the will of their father. And he intensifies. I mean, you'd you'd think maybe Jesus would back off a little bit because he's talking about the leader. He's talking to the leaders of his people in his day. And he may have been a great rabbi. He may have been highly respected and loved by many at the time. But he's talking to the authorities among the Jewish people. And instead of backing off a little bit, he doubles down. He intensifies his rebuke of them. And he says, even when the tax collectors and prostitutes believed and repented, you didn't. You still didn't. And his choice of words is very precise. His choice of words is very intentional. Because in verse 29 of our text, look at what the first child did, the first son. It says, afterward, he changed his mind, and he went, and he did what his father told him to do. And look at verse 32. Even when you saw these others repenting and entering the kingdom, you did not afterwards change your minds. He's really going after them, isn't he? He's saying, look in the mirror, you elders. Look in the mirror, you chief priests. What you're going to see in the mirror is that second son. You aren't doing the will of God. This command to repentance comes by association with John. John preached repentance. You could turn, we won't turn there now, but John, excuse me, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. That's where John bursts onto the scene, and it says he is preaching repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew chapter 4 is where Jesus' ministry begins. What does he preach? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And it shouldn't be any surprise then when Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs they went throughout the land preaching that people should repent real faith produces real repentance so what does this all look like in today's terms what does it look like in lives like mine and yours well let's think again about the son who initially said i go sir but did not go A person who falls into that category today, their before picture might look like someone who who went forward at a revival meeting or answered the altar call, made a profession of faith, 
It might look like someone who prayed the sinner's prayer. Someone who, to borrow uh, pretty modern evangelical language, asked Jesus into their hearts. That's what the before picture looks like. But the, and most of that is based on an emotional response. They feel a sense of conviction over sin, perhaps, for a little while, or they, they want to be sure that they have eternal life, so they go through the motions. But what's in the after picture? In the after picture, which might be taken years later, or it might be the next day, but they show very little interest in spiritual things. They show no evident love for Christ. They show no zeal for his kingdom. That's their before and their after. But what about the son who at first shook his fist, in a sense, in his father's face and said, I will not. But then his conscience bothered him. He regretted it. He had remorse. And he went. And he did the father's will. That person's before picture looks like a person whom you shared the gospel with and they rejected it. It looks like someone who turns away from Jesus, doesn't care what the Bible says, just continues in their sins, even ridicules Christians for what they believe, scoffs at them, calls them hypocrites, or maybe just, just generally indifferent to faith. I'm, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but not religious. I don't want to talk about it. That's the before picture. But the after picture is when they see the light, when God opens those blind eyes. In the after picture, their ears have been unstopped, and they turn from their selfish and sinful ways. They change their minds, and they trust in Christ. Remember, that first son changed his mind. That's what the text says. That's where repentance begins. Repentance is turning from sin to God with the intention to obey him. I encourage you to look in our shorter catechism because there's a really powerful and concise and precise definition of repentance. What is repentance unto life? You can read it in the catechism. It's great. Study it. Learn it. Memorize it. But I had a pastor friend years ago who gave this definition of repentance. It's not as uh, theologically profound, but it's beautiful in its simplicity. Repentance is turning away from sin because it's bad and turning toward God because he's good. That's repentance. Turn away from sin because it's bad. It does to your soul what methamphetamines do to a person's body. Turn to God because he is good. He is, the, he is the very source of all good. Repentance starts with a true sense of sin, grief over sin, and hatred of sin. And here's the glorious message of this text. It's the glorious message of the passage that we read from Ezekiel a moment ago. And it's the glorious message of this parable, and that is Jesus receives sinners. Jesus even receives really bad sinners. That's why he proclaims salvation for tax collectors and prostitutes. Not just ordinary people or upstanding citizens who just need to kind of get their act together a little bit. They're sinners too, and they need salvation. 
But Jesus came even for those whose lives have been utterly and publicly wrecked by sin. He came for you. In fact, sometimes it's those people whose lives are a mess and they can't do anything to fix it. Those are sometimes the people who most readily come to him. They know quite well how desperately they need forgiveness. They know that they can't say, like so many of us can, oh, I've lived a good life. They know they can't claim that. They can't claim I'm a good person. They can't claim any righteousness of their own, and they cry out to Jesus that they need his righteousness. That's the gospel. It's the respectable person, really, you know, the upstanding citizen, the good guy, the the nice lady. They're the ones that have a hard time believing that they aren't good in God's sight most of the time. Commentator Matthew Poole said, it is a hard thing to convince a moral, righteous, civil man that he lacks anything to salvation. And hence it is, that profane persons many times repent, believe, and are saved when others perish in their impenitency and unbelief because they think they have no need of repentance. They think they have no need. That's what Jesus meant when he said there will be more rejoicing, there more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Why? Because there aren't 99 persons that are righteous and need no repentance. There's not even one. Spurgeon said the best of men, the best of men need mercy as truly as the worst of men. So I say Jesus receives sinners. He welcomes them. He receives sinners, but he never approves of sin. Let's be careful to stress that. Yes, tax collectors were coming into the kingdom. Prostitutes were coming into the kingdom. Jesus receives sinners, but he never approves of sin. He receives sinners, but he doesn't leave them where they are. He doesn't look at their before photo and say, that'll do. That's not how the gospel works. He calls people to repentance. He calls them to holiness of life. And through the gospel, his spirit, it's his spirit who does this. He transforms sinners. And that transformation glorifies him. Prostitutes who believed in Jesus were prostitutes no more. Thereafter, they turned from their sinful occupation and they lived lives of godly purity. Tax collectors who believed in Jesus no longer swindled their countrymen. They conducted their work with integrity, both toward the Romans and towards Israel. Whose gospel is this that we've been reading? Oh, it's Matthew's gospel. What did Matthew do before he became an apostle? He was a tax collector. So, Let me speak to any of you who today are burdened over your sin or who have some sin or some aspect of your past life that still grieves you and makes you doubt whether Jesus would accept you. 
It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how sordid and sinful your past has been. That's not the deciding factor in where you will spend eternity. Where you were matters very little. As far as the gospel is concerned, what matters is where you are and where you're going. What's the direction of your life now? What do your before and after pictures look like? Where are you now? Have you repented of your sin? Are you repenting daily of sin? Because we all need that. Are you turning to God with full purposes of obedience to Him? You may have said no to Him in the past. You may have said no to Him over and over and over again. But today, you have the opportunity to change your mind and do the Father's will. The Lord Jesus said, This is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Imagine what that after picture is going to look like. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, you don't leave us where we are. Thank you for calling us to restoration and reconciliation to yourself through Christ, your Son, our Savior. Do that work in us, Lord. Do it in many others. Thank you, Lord, that you take no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn and live. May we all do so, and let Christ get the glory for it. We pray in his name. Amen.